Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are the God who holds the keys not only for eternal life and salvation, but for how to live the best possible life here on earth. And so as we open up the text and as we read words that have been written for thousands of years, we pray that you would, through your Spirit, teach us how to understand this for this day and in this time in 2016. We thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. There is a... How many of you listen to music when you're in the car? I do. I like listening to audiobooks most of the time, but... I listen to music every once in a while if I need to get pumped up, you know? And uh, <laughs> so when I was in high school, oh, I'm going to tell a story about my sister, and she's, she's here today. <laughs> <laughs> Quick edits in my head, right? <laughs> so when my, when my sister and I were in high school, we used to work at an insurance agency during the summers and during winter breaks because our other sister and her husband worked there. So we would go to work, and we would go from the city of Fullerton to um, the city of Irvine, or Lake Forest, or something like that. It was one of those cities. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was in the Irvine area. And so we would drive, and it would take us about, I think, 45 minutes to get there in the morning because of traffic, and about an hour to an hour and 15 on our way home. So back then, all we had was radio, or, or one of those disc men that you would plug in through the cassette player, and so we would listen to music. And one of, the th <laughs> one of the things that she would always say whenever a, a good song that she really liked came up, she would say, that's my song. And she would do that from the time we were kids. And, but as I got older, she did that more and more to any of the good songs that came up to eventually I lost my patience, which, all right, that never happens to me. And I said, you can only choose one song. You're only allowed to have one song if it's your song. I said, maybe two. And she... It was the older sister, so she was like, whatever, like, don't even pay attention to me. She didn't change. She kept doing the very same thing. Now, I'm telling you this story because of the power that music has in our lives. Songs and music are very powerful. They are a part of the fabric of our being. If you ever look at a child, before they can even walk very well, you will see them begin to bounce, like, or, or what they would call dance to music. When I was visiting my brother, his, um, his daughter, who is now is just going to be two years old, um, they would take her to this church where they would teach them songs and music and different ways to play little instruments. And as soon as the music would come on, she would walk over to me, hold my hand, and teach me how to do the dance. Or I don't know if it was a dance. It was just this. That's not really a dance, right? But that's what they did because music is written into the DNA of how we experience life. You know, if you've ever fallen in love and you hear that one love song, it makes you feel more love. But the very opposite is true if you've ever broken up. <laughs> the same song that caused so much joy makes you want to cry, well, makes some of us want to cry. <laughs> because music is essential to our lives. Right? Some songs, they speak about love, others about pain, others about loss. Some of them are social commentaries, at least some of the older songs, right? If you listen to Simon and Garfunkel, they have some social commentary in some of those songs. But music conveys message to us. I think that's how God formed us with music in our DNA. Because songs, they are vehicles to convey deeper messages 
about life. If you have your Bible, if you want to look at Psalm chapter 40, and uh, you can get your red Bible if you didn't bring yours. I'm, I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. There is no PowerPoint. Psalm chapter 40, verse 3, teaches us something special about music. And it says this, that he, referring to God, put a new song in my mouth. And so this is the, the writer David, who was a musician, who was a poet, who would ultimately be king of Israel. He says, God puts a song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. You know, it's interesting that it is God who puts the song in our heart. It is the Spirit of God who has wired us to know that music and songs are a powerful way of experiencing life. But what we find here in the psalmist is that the song that God puts in our heart shapes us and molds us. So let me, let me explain to you how this works. How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hand, because it probably, I know the answer that it happens to all of us, but how many of you have ever work? Maybe you're at home, but you're kind of humming a song or you're singing a song under your breath. Um, yeah, I know, I know Bob does this all the time. Whenever he walks into my office, he's always singing a song. I know you wouldn't, I know you wouldn't think that of Bob, but he does that. Of course, it's like old songs that I've never heard of, but it's still. <laughs> older, older songs. <laughs> and he always tells me, look this up. You have to listen to this. <laughs> But how many of you have ever been, you've been humming this song, or there's a song in your head, and you don't realize it's there, and then you realize, like, oh, wh where did that song come from? And we don't know where we heard it or when we heard it last, but it just becomes a part of our subconscious. And so when it comes to your relationship with God, the more you expose yourself to what the scriptures teach us, the more we allow our subconscious to keep hearing the song of scripture in our lives. You see, the Bible tells us that out of your heart, that from the overflow, rather, of your heart speaks the mouth. And the more that you allow yourself to immerse yourself in scriptures, the more that God has to work with in our lives. Now, God can speak to you, and God can supernaturally speak to you and put all the scriptures in your heart. But a relationship is a two-sided event. And so the more that you expose yourself to the text, to the Bible, when I say text or the scriptures, I'm talking about the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with. And the more and more you come to the scriptures, you have a deeper foundation and a reservoir of what God can use to continue to teach you the truths that have been true since the beginning of time. There is, um, I remember hearing one preacher use the, the kind of the picture of we must marinate our hearts in the scriptures, right? So we know that some of you are really good at cooking and you know how to marinate things. And usually marinate, I mean, it can be from as little as, I don't know, half an hour, an hour to like a day or two. I don't, I don't really know. I'm not a cook. I just know how to make like three things and none of those require marinade. <laughs> but imagine... That just as we marinate a piece of a potato, <laughs> a steak, a chicken, whatever, we're, we're Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. Which, by the way, can I just, a side note, I was um, in Arizona this week for a couple of days in a gathering of Seventh-day Adventists, 
and I was talking, I made friends with a guy because I didn't rent a car, so I needed a ride to and from this event, and, um, and we started talking, and um, I don't know how it came up, he's, he's not from Southern California, but he says, you Southern, uh, Southern California Adventist, there is a stigma that comes with you. And you know what I realized? It's 99% true. <laughs> so can we just admit that we're a real church and some of you eat chicken and steak? Amen. All to the glory of God. But, but what we realize is that the more that we marinate our hearts and our souls, in the scriptures, the more that God has to work with. And I understand that some people will say, when I come to the Bible, I don't understand any of it. And I get that. And that's why we gather here sometimes, well, not, not well, sometimes, but this is why we gather here on a weekly basis, because it is a way of helping us to expose ourselves to the scripture in a way that is easier for us to understand. And that's my primary task, is to, is to make the scriptures as available to understand as possible. And so we have this image of how important song and music is to God. If you remember that after the Israelites in the book of Exodus, when they come out of Egypt, God teaches Moses a song to remind the Israelites of the miraculous things that God has done. God implants a song in Mary. If you remember in the book of Luke, Mary, that's called Mary's song, where she speaks of God's power and of God's strength and about a God who doesn't forget his people. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, there are 27 hymns of praise in the book of Revelation. Now, there's tons of other examples. Those are just a couple of the examples some would even say that the story of creation, because of its poetic nature, also is a type of song that helped people to remember what God had done. And there is one song in particular that I want us to look at this morning, and, it's, and it might be a song that you didn't know was actually a song. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Colossians. All right, and we're going to see how far we can get through this, this this morning. It's like there's two parts to it. You've probably read this in Sabbath school. You've probably read this in your own Bible study. You've probably heard sermons preached on this. Um, we just had it read for, for scripture reading. But if you go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, remember everything we've said about music. They are vehicles to convey a deep and powerful message. Right? Songs help us to remember important things. How many of you ever learned how to, your ABCs by singing a song? Right? I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't want to do that to you. I want the guests to come back next week. But we make up songs, even when we're studying, to help us to remember the things that we're studying. And, and, and there is no difference when it comes to Scripture. And the book of Colossians in chapter 1, like every commentary I read in preparing for this message says, that this was probably a hymn that the first century Christians would sing that talked about the deep theological roots of who Jesus was. And it was done in form of a hymn so that it could be sang as they gathered week to week and day to day. All right, so that's why music is so important. So let's, let's just jump in and read verse 9. We're going to start reading verse 9. And it says, For this reason, and, and so Paul is writing this letter to a church, and he's just saying that he heard about their faith through some of the leaders there, and he is excited about their faith. And that's where he picks up in verse 9. For this reason, 
since the day we heard about you and your faith, we, the leaders of, of the Christian movement, have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, knowing in growing, sorry, in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's not the hymn part yet. But this is Paul. He's about to introduce this song. But before he does that, and we know that Paul always writes very like dense theological writings, right? So Paul is consistently writing. What we find in the writings of Paul is, is a systematic way of understanding who Jesus is and the role of the Christian church and who God is, right? So Paul is the only person in Scripture who systematizes what it means to, to believe in Jesus and the effects of who Jesus is. And so Paul's an important person as we come to understanding the Scriptures and Christianity. And so what he is saying here is this. Spiritual maturity is about several different things. As you grow in your relationship with God and the spiritual, um, as, you can, as you mature spiritually, it means that your knowledge of God's will grows in your life. Now, does it say a knowledge of your will? You notice that we, from this pulpit, we never preach, hey, you need to pray and ask God to, to show you what is um, God's will for your life. We don't preach that, and here's why. Because we believe that God's will is separate from just God's will for our personal lives. You see, God is not there just for us, but rather we are here on this earth for God's purpose. And so God has a will and what we find from the beginning of time until the last book of Scripture is that God's will in all of Earth's history is for God to reconcile his back to him. Now, as we speak about this in a Christian terms, what the Bible teaches us is that every one of you is a sinner. We've all sinned. Even on your very best day, there's still sin in our lives. And what the Bible teaches us is that sin separates us from the presence of God. It's not that God casts us out, right? God doesn't cast you away. God doesn't throw you away. But instead, our sin separates us from the presence of God's holiness. And so what we find in the person of Jesus is that God, even though he didn't do anything wrong, right? We're the ones that are sinning. God, in his abundance of grace and love and mercy, sends his son to show us what true love is. Not the movie kind of love and not the love that we hear in love songs, but the unconditional kind of love that says that he loves you so much that he will gladly pay the penalty of your sin. It's almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. I get that, right? Some people will say, well, that's too easy. It's got to be more than that. But according to the scriptures, that is what Jesus comes to do. And God's will is to reconcile all of his children back to him. So, the disciples are praying for this. I want to get through this because I want to get through this next part. The disciples are praying. The leaders of the church are praying for all of the people of faith. And in a sense, they had, it is for us as well, that as you grow spiritually, your knowledge of God's will, that he wants to reconcile everyone to himself, um, that we grow in that understanding. 
And in understanding God's will, we live lives worthy of the Lord. Now, here's, here's what's important to understand this. To live a life that is worthy of God, we would think that it would be to live a perfect life, right? Because the only way that you can truly give all of the, the only way that you can truly be worthy of eternal life is to live a perfect life. But because we can't do that, that perfection is given to us in the person of Jesus. Which is why the Bible says that to live is Christ, which, which when God looks at you, he doesn't see all of your failures and all of your sins, but rather he sees that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And so to live a life that is worthy of the Lord is to accept Jesus' sacrifice as enough for God. And now it says this, once you've done that, it says, as you bear fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God. And so what this is teaching us is that spiritual maturity is about learning about God's will for life, which will lead you to live a life worthy, which means that you've accepted Christ. And because you've accepted Christ, you are now beginning to live a life that, share, that bears the fruit of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. You see, the spiritual fruit that the Bible talks about is how God is continuing to work through you. And the Bible tells us in verse 11, it says, if you're doing these things and if you're understanding them, you will be made strong with all the strength that comes from what? From God's glorious power. You know, this is a two-sided relationship between God and you, but it seems like God is doing all of the heavy lifting Right? In our earthly, in our earthly um, relationships, we always say that, you know, we say things like, you know, hey, we got to meet each other halfway. Right? So if you've ever been in a relationship and you have a hard time agreeing on something, you, the hope is that you would meet in the middle and come up with a third way, a way that you could compromise. But you see, our relationship with God isn't about compromise, and it's not about meeting God halfway. Oftentimes, what we find in the scriptures is that God isn't meeting you halfway. God is meeting you like 98% of the way. Because God loves us in a way that we cannot comprehend, and God is continuing to pursue us. So God is always the one that initiates. God is always the one that pursues, and God is the one who meets you more than halfway because he wants to spend eternity with you. And you will be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power. And this glorious power, and this is for you that might be going through something difficult, that you, um, through God's glorious power, and you may be prepared to endure everything. How many things? Everything. Anything that gets thrown your way. Because of God's power, you are able to endure everything with patience. Patience, that word denotes that there is going to be time for you, that you're going to have to wait. And sometimes what you go through is going to be painful. But God will give you the patience and the power to endure everything, listen to this, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. You see, God's glorious power allows you to go through anything and everything in your life. You see, as Christians, we have not just a hope but we have an affirmation and we have assurance that one day whatever is going on in this world will no longer matter because we will live in a different 
um, in a different reality where there will be no tears and no suffering, and whatever is bothering you now will no longer be a bother. God's glorious power gives us the ability to be able to live in such a way where we can be joyful and have patience. So I'm just going to jump into this next part. Is that okay? Are you guys still with me? Here it goes. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Verse 13 says this. For he has rescued us. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And verse 14 is where the hymn begins. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, which means that Jesus, even though the Bible uses words of Jesus as the Son, it's the best language that we have, but what we know is that Jesus was there at the very beginning, at the beginning of time. So when it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, what he's saying is that Jesus was there at the beginning. Verse 16, For by him all things were created, Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created in him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold what? Together. It is in Jesus that all things in your life are being held together. You know, we look all around us and we, and we begin to lose hope that things are going to get any better. But the reality is, is that God does have a plan for Earth's history. And we don't have to worry about having to tell God what to do or what not to do. All we have to do is put our hope and our belief in, the, in this text that tells us that God is holding all things together. He says in verse 18, And Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have supremacy. So does the Bible say that the pastor is the head of the church? No. Does the Bible tell us that the elders are the head of the church? It tells us that Jesus is the head. And all our job, my job in particular, is to surrender to Jesus as the supreme Lord of our lives. Because we know that Jesus isn't going to demand horrible things from us. I, I was just talking to someone who was saying, you know, I used to think that submitting my life to Jesus was going to lead me to a boring life, a horrible life, a life of so many things that I couldn't do. But now I realize that I had been missing out on a truly beautiful and good life by not surrendering to Jesus. You know, life with Jesus is the adventure of our lives. Because Jesus doesn't call us to just live complacent lives in our comfort zones, but Jesus always asks us to have faith and take risks. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether, heaven, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, just a couple more verses. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you 
by Christ's physical body through death to present you as what? Holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. When people ask you, what is the gospel? Show them Colossians chapter 1, verse, what, what should I just read? 20. Jesus presents you what? Holy, without blame, in the presence of God. Listen, if you asked me to make a list of all the sins that I committed this morning, it would be longer than three, probably. <laughs> right? If we, if we did this exercise where you just had to write all of your sins and failures and the destructive habits in your life, the list would be longer than if I said, hey, tell me all of the good things you've done. Tell me all of the positive things about your character. The list of negatives would far outweigh the positive because that's how we are as humans. But what the Bible teaches us is that even the longest list of, the longest list of sins God doesn't see those. He sees you as holy and blameless, free of accusation. That's the gospel. That's what we preach. That's what it means to, live, to raise Jesus and have him lifted up, is to tell people that this is a God who forgives you. Now, he doesn't forgive you just so you can go into the mountains and say, okay, great, I know. No, he forgives us because that's the hard part, right? It, this getting into eternity is a hard part. Jesus does the hard part so that you can then go and be a witness of what Jesus has been doing in your life. You are freed from the power of sin so that you can then share this message to anyone that will listen because we believe that what the Bible says is true and your role is simply to be a witness of God's love and grace in this world. You are to be a blessing and of service to others. Okay, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this, the gospel that you have heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So this is the hymn of the first century church. It was written in such a way where it was a reminder that the gospel of Christ is that you are free of accusation of even the worst things that you have done. Again, this is not a free pass to then tomorrow go and do whatever you want. That's not the Christianity that the Bible preaches. As we've already seen is that, 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 the, that being forgiven your sins isn't a blank check to do whatever you want, but rather your forgiveness is so that you can bear the spiritual fruits that God has placed in your heart. And as a result of those things, more people will be able to see the love of Christ in very real and tangible ways. And so my, my encouragement and my invitation to you this morning is that just as we know all these songs that are playing on the radio or on your favorite playlist, that just as you listen to those songs over and over again, my invitation to you is that you would also play the songs of Scripture in your head day today, today, because the more you expose yourself to it, the more God has to work with. And, and I think I've said this, and I'll probably say this until the day that I can't preach anymore, but as, as our now departed brother Kurt Mountain would say, 
you know, that he memorized scriptures because the more scripture he memorized, the more God could use it to bring to his mind whenever he was going through a difficult time or whenever somebody needed a word of encouragement. He says, the more that I can read and the more that I can study, the more God has to work with in my life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we hear the words of Scripture this morning, so many of us can resonate with what it feels like to be free of the accusation. But God, we pray that as, as each one of us continues to mature in our spiritual life, that you would allow more of the good fruit to be born in our hearts and that we might be able to live a life that gives you honor and glory in all that we do. May we not be removed from the hope that we have in you. In your name we pray, amen.